You are listening to Church Unlimited Students, a ministry of Church Unlimited. If God is speaking to you through this podcast, we encourage you to share this resource with your friends. And make sure to connect with us on social media by following at Students. Thank you for listening to Church Unlimited Students. And everybody said, everybody said, everybody said, Woo! I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm a little fired up. So here's what I'm going to need from you, though. Hey, one more time. Y'all give these guys a big round of applause over here. Killing it. Doing an amazing job leading us into the presence of God. Amen? Yeah. Look here. I'll tell you what. I, I, I want to, oh, excuse me, pardon me. I don't know what that was. All right. Y'all having a good day? Everybody having fun? Are you, are, are, are you awake tonight? Okay, you need to wake up. Hey, we got to wake up, right? Good deal. So here's the thing. I'm going to ask you to do this for me. I know I don't want you to fall out. I don't want you to get tired. You feel like you're getting tired, sit up straight, help each other accountable next to you, because I don't want you to miss what I believe that God's got for us tonight, okay? You got your Bibles. Y'all bring your Bibles in? All right, good stuff. Glad you got your Bibles. Hopefully you haven't lost any Bibles. Uh, and because in just a moment, I'll have you go to a couple spots, and I want you to get used to opening a Bible. I, I'm all for putting screen, you know, putting stuff on the screens and all that kind of stuff. But man, there is just something to there's just something to be said about having that written word in your hand. Amen. Amen. It just is. So, man, I'm hoping that that's something you can find. Here's the deal. It's about I don't know, going on five years now. I was in prison. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me reword that. I was, I, I was spoken to prison. Sorry. I didn't, uh, let me, uh, <laughs> see, I love your faces because some of y'all went, <laughs> what? Did he just say he was in prison? He did. That explains a lot. I know those deal. So check this out. I got to share you this story with you. Everybody say freedom. So I get a call from a guy from in Kentucky. Now, he, got, he called me and asked me, he said, hey, man. And I was going into Kentucky to speak at a bunch of schools. I was speaking at this big um, outdoor revival thing they were having for their city uh, in their in like downtown kind of deal. All these bands were coming. King of Country was there. Tons of cool bands were coming. So this guy gives me a call about two days early and said, hey, man, can you come in tomorrow and speak in our prison? I said, let me pray about that. No, I cannot. I said, dude, I've been my whole life trying not to go to jail. I'm not going to no prison. I speak at schools, churches, camps, all like. Now, I spoke at some schools that are like prison, but I, I, I never spoke in a prison. And this is how he comforts me. Dude, it's going to be cool. It's a women's prison. I said, uh-uh, I've seen too many movies. I said, I know there's a woman right now sharpening a toothbrush going, mm-hmm. I can't wait to put this somewhere. And I didn't know what that somewhere to be me. All right? So I go, dude, I'm not, I can't do it. I'm sorry. That's not my gift. I start making excuses. He goes, I, I hung up the phone. I start praying about it. I was like, God, you know I can't do this. And God said, you're speaking in that prison. I said, God, I really can't do it. God said, don't make me come down there. <laughs> I pick up the phone. I call the guy back. I say, hey, my man, um, I'm in. I'm, I'm coming. Uh, I'm going to come speak at your prison. He says, oh, I know. I already changed your flight. I said, I hate you. I said, I'll see you tomorrow. I tell my wife, I said, hey, I'm speaking in the prison, first time ever. She goes, oh, you're going to get killed. <laughs> she knows me. So I go, no, it's going to be great. I'm excited. And here's how the guy got me. 
kind of how the spirit kind of kind of kind of led me because here's what the guy said he goes these women need to hear your story and these women need to hear the gospel and I'm like share it with them he goes no you're gonna share it with them and so I go and I fly in and a lot of times when youth pastors or pastors that pick you up from the airport they're picking me up from the airport usually when they pick you up what they do is they drive you out to the hotel let you check in you know, they maybe take you out to eat and give you a good meal. And I was thinking, maybe I'll get a last meal before I walk into this place. And so all of a sudden, I'm texting my wife. I'm going, hey, we're here. Pray for me. I'm about to talk to all these women. Pray I don't get jumped. Pray I don't know what's going to happen. I'm freaking out a little bit. I've never done this. And, and all of a sudden, I'm kind of texting. I look up. We're in the parking lot of the prison. I said, we're not going to eat. He goes, no, nah, I'm afraid you might run. I said, I hate you. So I go, all right, let's do this. Now, I, 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 I share a little bit about what I thought. Because here's the thing. I'm like, I like to joke around. I like to have fun. I like to tell jokes. And the whole time I'm thinking, I want to entertain them. I want to tell them jokes. But I'm not sure what kind of jokes I'd be telling in prison. Hey, ladies, snitches get stitches, yeah? Huh? No? Okay. I don't know what to start open up with. So let me tell you about what I used to do. All right? So this is kind of what I thought I would do in this prison. Now, back when I was about 12, 13 years old, like I said, I, I lived in Galveston, Texas. Now, in Galveston, there's this place called The Strand. Anybody ever been to The Strand? Okay, if you ever been to The Strand, all right, good deal. So in Galveston, there's a place called The Strand. Now, a lot of tourists would come down and hang out The Strand. Well, when I was real young, what I did is I taught myself how to juggle, and I could balance things on my face. I know, kind of weird, right? I just learned it. I threw something on my face, and I was like, hey, it stayed there. So... And check out what I used to do, 12, 13 years old. I would go down, and I would find rocks, and I would find, you know, uh, uh, broke. I would break, like, whiskey bottles and wine bottles, and I would actually take barbed wire and wrap them around sticks, and I would, I would make the most dangerous things you can imagine, and I would take them down there, draw a circle with a big piece of chalk, and I would do a juggling show. I would balance things and juggle stuff. I mean, it was really crazy. Here, I'll show you. kind of crazy right yeah I know you don't see that very often and so I would do that kind of stuff in the streets of Galveston and then here's what I would do I would then pass a hat and people would put money in it and I would be able to go feed my brother and I because I told you I didn't have a whole lot of money because my dad drank it away so I taught myself how to juggle and do that and I thought you know what that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna juggle for these women because here's what I kept thinking they're human beings and they need to be entertained just like anybody else. And I, I, I want to just entertain them and have fun with them. So I, I bring my juggling clubs with me. And they're like juggling clubs that I have. And, and so I bring them into the prison. And I walk in and I have them in a bag. Now I walk in. I'm not going to lie. I have a little bit of fear. Okay. First of all, these women are there for life, for years, for months. Some of them even have no idea when they're getting out. Everybody say freedom. freedom. So I walk in. I got my little juggling bag. I'm a little freaked out. I'm about to do this, you know, this little bit for them. I'm going to share the gospel. So I walk in, and all of a sudden, I see the two biggest dudes I've ever seen in my life. And I got a little comfort. I'm like, okay, cool. They have my back, okay? Big dudes. And now I walk up with my little juggling bag, and the guy goes, what you got in the bag? And you cannot sound cool at all or hard at all by going, juggling clubs. <laughs> he opens the bag, pulls one of them out. I just told him they were juggling clubs. He's holding it, literally looks down at me and goes, what you going to do with this? Juggle. 
you cannot sound cool saying you're going to juggle. <laughs> you know? And so he kind of looks at me, and I go, I'm going to juggle. He goes, mm-hmm. And I heard him under his breath going, this dude going to die. He puts it back in, sends it through the radar thing. He goes, all right, step on through. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to step through this door. It's going to shut behind you. All right? The other door is going to open up, and some guard is going to meet you at the gate of the prison right there. I go, hold on, man. Y'all not coming? You and your brother, Goliath, y'all not coming with me? He goes, oh, no, no. There's going to be somebody going to meet you on the other side. I said, okay, let's do this. I grab my bag, and I step through the first door. Now, something happens to you when you stand there holding this bag, you know, holding, and you're standing. I mean, I'm in prison. Is there? And all of a sudden, this happens behind you. I was like, what kind of lock is this? It just goes, I mean, loud. And then this happened. You can't make this. Just all these locks, and then I heard this. And I literally went, oh, good, I'm glad we have that. Because all those other ones fell is going to save us, okay? So I'm standing there. That just shut. I hear the guy again. It's opening. And I'm standing there going, I don't want to do this. I'm a little scared. So the door opens. And all of a sudden, now listen to me. I'm not trying to be mean, okay? But I just left the two biggest dudes I've ever seen in my life. And all of a sudden, around the corner comes the guard who's going to lead me to the auditorium. And he's about this big. He runs up to me wearing the guard costume. Way too big for him. He runs up in the deepest, most countryest accent you can imagine. He stops in front of me and goes, hey, if anything happens, I got your back. And that's the last thing you ever want to hear in prison. If something happens, I have your back. And so I kind of do this number. I go, Man, quit playing. Go get your dad. I am not doing this. You got it, you little fit. That's a good joke, y'all. <laughs> you better go. I'm like, he's like, and first, first of all, I'm thinking, I'm looking at him going, dude, if something happens, who's got your back? I said, something goes down, you better jump on my back because we running, okay? <laughs> I could just see me running around the prison with this little guard on my back. Ah! <laughs> We're not going nowhere because the doors are locked. I heard them. So if something goes down, I might just pick this little dude up and throw him in the crowd. Get him, ladies. That's my gift to you. Everybody say freedom. So I go in. So he goes, all right, come on. And I'm not making this up. This is what I said to him. I go, um, we're about to walk across. And there, I mean, I'm telling you what, it was straight up prison. Women just, I mean, walking around. They're all wearing the same outfits. There's some of them are lifting weights, playing basketball, walking together, walking the track. And he goes, come on, let's go. And I looked at him. I said, hey, where's the tunnel? He goes, tunnel? I go, you got a secret tunnel or something to get to the auditorium? He goes, no, we're going to walk across. I said, no, we're not. I said, I ain't walking across that. And he had the nerve to look at me and literally look up at me and goes, I said, I got you. I said, boy, I will kick you in the mouth. <laughs> so I had to get some, it just, I had to really, truly just kind of get my, get my courage up. I'm like, and I remember, I'm still holding my little juggling bag. So I'm saying, I go, 
okay, let's go, let's go. And so I start walking across the yard, right? We're walking across, we're getting across. And I'm talking about, you ever seen one of those movies where um, the record scratching sound happens and everything stops like a break, okay, right? So I'm walking across and all of a sudden, break, every woman out there just stops and goes, oh, we gonna get him. I didn't know if they said it, but I heard it, and they're like, we going to cut him. There's one lady with a toothbrush behind her ear going, mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I'm starting to hurry and walk a little faster, walk a little quicker, right? We get to the auditorium, and we go into the auditorium. He goes, in just a moment, all these women are going to walk in, about 400 women. He said, they're all going to come in here. We're going to give them some announcements. We're going to give you the mic and let you just do your thing. They said, you can't touch them. You can't shake their hands. You can't do high fives. You can't hug, you know, anything like that you cannot do. I said, okay. So I go in, I'm a little scared, they all come in, and they all cross their arms like this, and it was some of the most hardcore, most scariest women I think I've ever seen in my life. And I'm standing there going, oh, no. I come out, they're like, ladies, all the way from Austin, Texas, give it up for Casey Benson. Not a sound. I went, oh, I'm gonna die. So I walk up and go, hey, ladies, thanks for having me here. I'm so excited, and I'm about to do this thing. And I ask them, can I get a volunteer? Because one of the juggling bits I do is with a volunteer. We'll pass them around and throw them back and forth, and we have a little bit of fun with it. And so they were like, yeah, you could do that. But again, you can't shake their hands or anything like that. And I guess out of my nervousness, I point down to a woman who's sitting right in front of me, arms crossed, looking at me like she was going to murder me. And for some reason, I go, ma'am, you, come on up here and help me. Now, right before that, this man tells me this. Hey, man, if they charge you, I'm sorry, what? He said, if they come after you, there's a door right behind you. Run through it, shut it behind you, it will lock, and they can't get you. I said, that's good information, dude. I appreciate that. He starts to walk off, and I look over at him. I go, where do you go, my man? My man, real quick, I said, hey, what's behind that door? And this dude, literally, just like this, he kind of looks back at it, looks back at me and goes, I don't know, and walks off. I was like, I will kick him in the mouth. I'm like, <laughs> and so now I point at this woman. This, remember, this door is in the back of my mind, okay? I go, for some reason, I go, you, ma'am, come on up and help me. This woman jumps up and darts at me. And I just go, Door! I'm like heading for the door, right? They're like, no, she's not. So smile a little bit. I go, hi. And so I'm always accustomed to do this. When I would do street shows and juggling shows, I would literally go to somebody. I'd get a volunteer and I go, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? That's just something I would always say. And so I go, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? And I put the mic like this and she goes, I said, you can have it. Because there ain't no way I'm going to reach over there and grab that mic away from that woman. I promise you that, all right? I'm not going to go, hey, can I have that? You know, like, I come back with a nub. I'm not, no way I'm reaching over there grabbing that mic. I said, you can take it, okay? I just step back, and she grabs the mic. Again, you can't make this kind of stuff up. She grabs the mic, flips it up rapper style, <laughs> takes a step up to the piece like this, and she goes, my name's T-Money, and I'm from C-Block baby and I'm like what and all of a sudden everybody from C block jumps up and just starts going whoa C block now check this out everybody that was not in C block starts now yelling at C block <laughs> this
this little dude. He's over to my right. I'm kind of backing up, thinking about the door. I'm watching this. They're yelling at each other. I'll kill you. I toothbrush. You know, all this. And all of a sudden, the dude jumps up, the little guy. He jumps up because it's all crazy. And she's still going, yes, he blocked And I'm like, oh, you can have that mic. He jumps up and pulls out his whistle and goes, the most quietest, smallest whistle you can ever imagine. I look at the guy and I go, y'all got to get him a bigger whistle. That's just terrible. That's just mean. Give the littlest dude in the building a little whistle. <laughs> and he's, So they all calm down and sit down. So I go, I step up. She gives me the mic back. Thank God. And we have this moment where we juggled and we had some fun and, and they smiled, they laughed, and we had a great time. Then I shared this. Open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And this is the verse that I shared with these women. With these women. Everybody say freedom. freedom. Everybody say freedom. See, here's the thing. These women were in this place, and do you think they thought about freedom? Uh, excuse me? Let me ask you again. You think these women thought about freedom? Uh, uh, you ain't been to jail. <laughs> listen to me. Oh, they were thinking about freedom. I need you to listen. I'm going to give you a minute to get there. I know some of you are flipping. Don't talk about it. Just go there quickly. John chapter 8, starting in verse 2. Go there quick. I'm asking you not to talk. Don't talk to your friends or your neighbors. I need you to look at me. If you're sitting next to somebody, don't help me out. Get put, just get them to kind of look in over here, all right? I don't want you to miss this. So I was able to share and open my Bible, and I shared these with these women because this is the verse that I believe that God gave me to share with them. Everybody say freedom. freedom. It says, at dawn, he appeared, and again, he appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Verse 3 says, the teacher of the law and the Pharisees, now they bring in this woman who is caught, I'm sorry, this woman, uh, the, the teacher of the law and the Pharisees brought in this woman who is caught in adultery. Adultery is uh, having sex outside of marriage with someone else's spouse or if you're married. Now look, they made her stand before the group and then they say to Jesus, now they're going to bring, they brought this woman in who was involved in sin. They bring this woman who was involved in, she was caught in, in, in adultery. They bring her in. They're standing her in front of Jesus. And then they say to Jesus this. This is what they say. They say, hey, Jesus, teacher, this woman now, she's caught in the act of adultery, in the act of adultery. So when I hear that, I'm thinking that, you know what? These men went to where she was, probably walked in the room and grabbed her. So all she probably had was just the, maybe the bed sheet or the blanket that she pulled off that bed, and she's got it wrapped around her. This is kind of how I see this. There is a woman now standing there, probably staring right at the ground, not even looking up. Listen to me. So she's caught in the act of adultery, they said. Now look, in, in, in verse 5 it says, now hey, God, they say, hey, Jesus, in the law now Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So this woman's now thinking, I'm about to die. She probably knows the law, probably seen the law, probably have even seen somebody being stoned. And that's being hit with rocks. Somebody in the back just went, huh, what? <laughs> hit with rocks. Look. So they said, hey, listen, Mo, uh, Jesus, and, the, and Moses says, commands us to, not, to, to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? 
See, and they stopped there. Here's the deal. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Here's why. Because Jesus has been walking around preaching forgiveness and love and, and all these things. And so they must have gotten together in a room one night and they said, we got to get rid of this guy. And here's why. See, a couple reasons why the Pharisees didn't like Jesus. One, he was costing them some money. He was already turning over tables in the temple saying, hey, listen, y'all are doing the wrong thing here. He also did this. He called himself God because he was. He already claimed that he was the I am, the I am of the beginning, all right? He already said, I am who I say that I am. He is Jesus. He is God. He is the anointed one. He's God. So they didn't like that, so they are now they're thinking, we got to get this guy, okay? Stay with me. So they come up with this plan. I could just see him in a room going, we got to get him. What do we do? Well, you know what? He loves people. Let's go get a woman that's caught in sin, bring her, you know, and then ask him some questions that he's going to trap himself. Because if he says, don't stone her, he's going against the law. We got him. If he says this or he says that, so they're thinking they got him in this trap. Man, they messing with Jesus. Look, here's what he does. So they say, hey, Jesus, what do you say about it? This woman's called in sin. We're supposed to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? Check this out. But Jesus, now he bends down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, when they kept on questioning him, he straightens up and he says to them, I love this. He goes, all right, guys, let any one of you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. He said, if you've never made a mistake, you've never messed up, you've never done those things, then you go ahead and hit her with a rock. And remember, and then here's what he does. He goes back to the ground, and he starts writing in the sand. Now, here's the thing. We have no idea what he was writing in that sand. But those men in that room, they did. And all of a sudden, now a lot of people will say this, you know, what was it? Because here's what happened. These men, they're looking at what he's writing, and they start to leave. Now, many people wonder what was in that sand. Some will say this, that he was actually writing out the sins of the men in that room. And they were standing there with rocks in their hands, looking at the sand going, well, I did that. I did that. Did that today. Done that twice today. You know, so it's like, and they start to see it and roll out. Look at me. Check this out. Stay with me on this one because this is powerful. And eventually, they all leave. I've even heard this said from a professor in, in seminary. I don't know. Again, nobody knows, but I like what he said. He said, you know what? Some even say that he was writing, Jesus was writing the names of the men who have actually been with this woman because they called her in the act of it, so they must have known she was doing it, and they were in that room. I don't know. But here's what I do know. They left. And then all of a sudden now, after leaving, check this out. Stay with me on this one. Everybody say freedom. freedom. He says, let any one of you without a sin be the first one to throw a rock. They go back down. He starts writing in the sand. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until the younger ones were left with this woman still standing in there. Listen to this. Verse 10 now, Jesus straightens up and he talks to this lady. I need you to think about this for a minute. Was she caught in sin? Yeah, is her sin any different than our sin? No. no. But she's now in the presence of God. Just her and him. Do you think she has the courage to look him in the face right now? Oh, I wouldn't. I, here's how I picture this when I read it. 
I'm seeing this woman probably with the blanket over her head, probably wrapped around her, and I see her looking right into the sand, and I'm even seeing tears probably come out of this woman's face because she hadn't always been that way. But what happened? And here's what I asked these women in the prison. I said, ladies, let me ask you a question. I said, how many of you sit in this prison day after day, you know, wondering how you're going to get out, or some of you are in there for life? You know, they were in there for a long time. And I asked them a few questions. I said, how many of you are in this room, and you ask yourself this question every day? How did I get here? How did I get here? Because my life did not start out in prison, but I ended up in prison. What choices in my life, what direction in my life, what people in my life, what stuff in my life, what put me in this prison? What choices did I make? Now I'm spending a month or a year of life in this place. And man, every hand went up. And I thought of this woman who's standing there probably even thinking to herself, how did I get here? Man, how did I get to a place where I'm standing here about to possibly die with rocks. And all of a sudden, Jesus could have said anything to this woman. And look what he said. And I love this. He says, hey, woman. He says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Mm. Did they throw a rock? Did they drag you out of here? Did they hurt you? And look at this. She probably did everything she could to muster up this just to be able to say this. And I still know she's probably not looking at him, looking at the ground. And, probably, and she just probably mustered this up. And she says, no one, sir, she said. And then Jesus looks at her and he says, listen, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And that woman walked out of there with freedom. Because Christ just set her free. Look at me. So I'm standing there in this prison. I share this story. And then I was able to ask this. How many of you can relate to this woman in this story? Man, almost so many hands went up. I was able to share the gospel. As I shared the gospel, I walked, like again, most hardcore women ever. I was able to share the gospel and how they can find freedom and find Christ. And I gave an invitation. And man, I'm telling you, there was 400 women in there. And I guarantee you there was probably 300 that got saved. It was that crazy, that cool. God just broke the place, saved the place. And look what happens. The lady that I, uh, Team Money, Tisha, yeah, she got saved. She, was, she stood up in front of me just crying. Well, they kind of handled it, talked to him a little bit. And I go off to the wall, and I'm standing against the wall going just, I can't believe this has happened. All these women are standing up. They're walking out. They got their hands behind their back. They're all walking in line. And all of a sudden, this woman breaks out of the line and starts walking right toward me very quickly. And I went, oh, here we go. Where's the door? I look at the little dude, my little handler guy. I look over at him. I said, hey, here she comes. What do I do? And he does this. He goes, it's okay. I said, I hate you. You know. So this woman walks up to me. She stops in front of me. He goes, sir, can I talk to you? And she was an older lady. And I said, yes, ma'am, what's going on? And she's got tears in her eyes. She goes, thank you for your talk. I said, okay. She said, I had a father like yours. I shared my story. She said, my dad beat on me, abused me. I said, I'm sorry. She said, I married a man who was an alcoholic, just like my dad, who beat on me. She goes, we're both involved. He said, we're both involved in drugs and alcohol. And she goes, and uh, I killed my husband. I said, okay. 
She said, but I need to tell you something. I'm just standing just in shock. I'm just like, you know, and she's crying, Lord crying. She goes, I'm never getting out of this place. I'm here for life. She told me how many years she was in. I really can't remember it was that many. And she looks me right in the face and she said this. She goes, but today, she said, I found freedom. She goes, thanks. And I look at this woman who is standing in this prison who was never going to get out, who looked at me and said, I found freedom through Jesus. And then all of a sudden I looked at her and I go, ma'am, and I, I, I was just kind of losing my mind at this point. And the little dude was standing there with me and he starts crying. I go, oh, it's okay, man. Come here. It's, it's okay. And I said, man, I am not supposed to hug you or I can't touch you. I said, but I feel like, and I had to ask you this question. I said, when is the last time that you had a hug? When is the last time you've had someone wrap their arms around you in a loving way and just tell them you love, you, that they love you? And she kind of just stood there and staring at me. And this was a very old lady, an older lady. And she looks at me and she goes, I don't think ever. I said, ma'am, I said, I'm not allowed to touch you, but I want to give you a hug. Can I give you a wireless hug? And you know, she's been in there for so long because she didn't even know what the word wireless meant. She goes, wireless? I said, I'm going to ask you to hold your hands out. I'm going to hold my hands out. I'm not going to touch you. I just want to hold you. I just want to give you a hug. I said, is that okay? She goes, please. So she stuck her hands out. I stuck my hands out like this. Literally, we look like we're at a middle school dance. <laughs> we got her hands out, and she's just crying, and she puts her hands down. I, I even did this. I don't know why. I start doing the pat, and I turned my head. I was just, if you looked at this from across the room, you'd be like, what is that guy doing over there? You know? And she was standing there. It was weird. And she puts her hands down, and she says, thank you. She starts to walk off, and she turns and looks at me, and she says this. She says, sir, she goes, that was the greatest hug I've ever had in my life. And I was able to look at her, and I said, ma'am, because you asked Jesus into your life today, he is going to hug you forever. Hang on to that. And she walked off. Everybody say freedom. So I want to share with you real quick some things. I want you to write this down. And then I'm going to ask you about some freedom tonight. See, here's the thing. There's a process to get to freedom. There's a process on how we're going to get ourselves to be in a free place, all right? So here's how it works. First of all, it starts with sin. Now, here's the deal. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We've all made mistakes. We've all messed up. Here's what sin is. Sin is any violation of God's will. So we've all sinned. We've all messed up. And here's what we do with sin, all right? Here's what we do with sin. There are three things that we all do with sin, and I even do as well, all right? We justify sin. Has anybody ever heard justified their sin? Well, here's why I did it, because. Anybody ever do that? All right? How about rationalize? We rationalize our sin. That means we're going, well, I'm sinner because whatever, all right? Here's the one we do the most and that I hear the most is we minimize sin. Oh, it's just a little bit. Who's ever said that? Be honest with me, I have. Oh, it's just a little bit. It's just a little bit. Oh, 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 it's just a little bit. Well, all right, so my son, I've been talking about, I love this dude. Here's what he tells me all the time. You know, he's wanting to go to all these, these he listens to all this music and all this stuff, and I'm always telling him, I said, man, it's got garbage language in it. And you're putting that garbage in your heart. You're putting that, that junk in your heart, and, you, and you're just filling your heart with all this garbage about sex and drugs, and the language, and he'd always say this, oh, it's just a little bit. I only listen to it a little bit. Who's ever said that? 
All right, so one day, I had my wife make some brownies. True story, he'll tell you. I had her make some brownies. God heard about this a long time ago, so I, I said, I'm going to try it with my 14-year-old son. So I had her make some brownies, and he came home from school, walked in the door, sees a big old stack of brownies all cut in a square, just nice, you know, just smelled amazing. You know, you know what I'm talking about with the brownies. Just, you're like, oh, right? You know, look amazing. And my other son walks in, too, and they're looking at the brownies. They're like, Dad, can we have a brownie? I said, hold on for a minute. I said, I'm going to let you have a brownie. I said, but I got to tell you something about this brownie. We use the best flour today to make this brownie. Man, we, we, got, we got this in it, this in it. We use this chocolate, this chocolate. And then I reach over, and I pick up a plastic bag that I went gone outside to the backyard, and I picked up a little poop from the dog. And I stuck it in the plastic bag, and I held it in front of the brownies. I said, hey, man, but the only thing is with these brownies, I just put a little poop in the mix. It's just a little bit. I said, it's not very much. I, I, here's the deal. It was only just a pinch of it. I stuck it in the mix, and I stirred it up in there. And my son goes, that is disgusting. I said, you want a brownie? He goes, no, I don't want a brownie. You messed them all up. You put that little mix of poop in there, and you messed the entire batch of brownies up. Y'all see where I'm going with this. And I was able to look at him. I said, but this is what you keep telling me. It's just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And you know what a little bit will do? A little bit will mess this up. And then my younger son goes, I don't care. And he grabbed a brownie and took a bite. I said, you're disgusting. I didn't actually really put the, you know, poop in there. It was for an illustration, and we were able to enjoy brownies. But... <laughs> So here's what, we, but here's what we do. That's what we do with sin. We minimize it. We say it's not that much. But here's what happens. Listen to the process here. Sin leads to shame. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And we keep putting this junk in our heart over and over and over. It's going to build up. And what happens is, is when that sin builds up in your heart and you don't confess it and get rid of it, you don't hear God's voice. You don't see God's direction. You don't feel him for nothing because you're covered in that, sin, in that sin that you let in there. But what happens is this process, right? So sin then leads to a shame. Where we're going, okay, there's some shame. Here's what shame leads to. Shame leads to brokenness. Brokenness. So let me ask you a real question. I ask this a lot. And I'm talking to Christians for a minute. Those of you here that got Jesus in your life, listen. How many of you can say this and be honest with me? When is the last time you were broken? And I don't mean broken because you feel bad about what you did, right? Sometimes we, we do bad things, but oh, I feel pretty bad about it. When is the last time you were broken because you know what you did hurt God? Man, think about that. There's no hand-raising thing. I just want you to think about it. I got the most amazing grandmother. She was the grandmother that was in the plane with me. She's 90 years old. She's still alive. She was cut on the strongest woman I think I've ever met in my life, like, other than my mom, I guess, because but this woman, plane crashed, seatbelt almost cutting her in half, uh, her son, my dad, you know, his craziness, and this woman really kind of had to raise me. And she was one of those grandmas that I believe that can whoop anybody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, she was like a bulldog, all right? This woman was just, anybody got a grandma like that? And this is the grandma, listen to this, when my dad would leave me in a bar, who do you think I'd call? Grandma. When my dad would leave me in somebody's house, I didn't know who you think I'd call. When my grandma, I mean, when I didn't have food, who you think I'd call? And that sometimes it would be like two or three o'clock in the morning, my dad would pull off in her yard, push me out of the car, and leave for months. 
and I'd stay with who? With grandma. Man, my grandma was amazing. There were times I would go to her door, and she would always say this. Maybe some of y'all can relate to this because you maybe have a grandma like this. I'd go to her door at 2 o'clock in the morning. It'd take a while. She'd get out of bed. She'd come to the door. She'd open it, and she'd look down at me and go, baby. And then she'd go every single time, you hungry? Who got a grandma ask you every time, oh, you hungry? Okay. So she'd go, oh, you hungry? And I'd go, yeah, grandma. And my grandmother would bring me inside, and she would like, this is what she would do. At 2 in the morning, she would make biscuits. And I'm not talking about like a candy. She'd go, boop. I'm talking about she would pull out the flour, some water, and some grandma sprinkle magic and throw it all together, stick it in the oven, and I got biscuits. And then she would always ask this question. You want some chicken? And she would fry chicken up at 2 o'clock in the morning. She would make me chicken and biscuits. My grandmother was the original Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Listen. Thanks for clapping for my 90-year-old grandmother. Now, look. But my grandmother, she also said, I, 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 say this, say, sh uh, shame leads to brokenness. Say it. Shame leads to brokenness. Look, now my grandmother was a master with a switch. You see, I don't know if you know anything about a switch. If you're from the old school in the country area, she's from Louisiana, she was incredible with a switch. Here's what a switch was. It was a part of a tree, okay, or a bush. There was this one time, I'm out in the yard with my grandmother. And remember, sometimes we're just punks, right? And I'm, I'm mouthing off. It's probably she wouldn't let me do something or wouldn't give me something. or I, I don't know what it was, but I'm like, you know, mouthing off to her. And she's like, don't you mouth off to me. I said, what you going to do? <laughs> what? And I'll never forget this. My grandmother reaches down into this bush. I don't even know where these old people get these bushes. Does Home Depot have these things? I mean, do they go, I need a bush to whip an unruly grandchild. Oh, yeah, this aisle right here, aisle 17. She reaches into the bush, and you know it's bad when you hear this. And I went, oh, that's a big one. She pulls it out, and it's got the leaves still on it. And I start doing this. This old woman can't catch me. And all of a sudden, like I hear this. Like we got a standoff in her yard, right? And I'm like, what you going to do? And she reaches up and she grabs those leaves and just goes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? She got the leaves in her hand and I hear. I go, whoo, and I get mesmerized by the leaves as she holds them up, and she just starts to slowly let them go. And they begin to slow motion move to the ground, and I'm like, look at the leaves. <laughs> and before you know it, my grandmother is right up on me, and she was one of those that would talk while she would swing. And she got a hold of me and said, you will n-n-n-n-n. My grandmother had a speech problem. And it seemed to always be when she was spanking me. And she said, you will not talk to him. And I'm like, ah, and I'll run. One day she cornered me against the wall and just goes, put a big G on my chest for grandma. She was like Zorro with this thing. But look at me, every time. Everybody say, shame leads to brokenness. Look at me, look at me, stay with me because there's a point to this. I was in the wrong, 
and I knew I was hurting a woman who loved me. I was hurting this lady who cared for me. I was hurting this lady who was feeding me at two in the morning. I was hurting this woman who would pick me up from bars and I would hurt this woman by saying these things because I was angry and I was upset and I was mad at my dad and I took it out on somebody else. And that shame would bring my brokenness. Well, that switch would bring my brokenness. (laughs) But you know what? That's how I am with God now because here's the thing. I don't want to hurt him. And every time I sin and every time I mess up and every time I fall, I know that I'm hurting him. And those nails that were driven through his hands and his feet and those whip that was going across his back is from our sin. When is the last time you were really broken? Over not because you felt bad, but because you know what you're doing or what you did. Or maybe more what you're doing hurts God. Listen, sin leads to shame. Shame leads to brokenness. Psalms 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And I guarantee you, and I promise you this, because of the world we live in, and uh, some of you I've already met in this place, I, I know there's some brokenhearted in this room. It says, the Lord is close to the broken heart, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Sin leads to shame. Shame leads to brokenness. And brokenness now leads to forgiveness. Because when you break, And you have that broken moment where you're broken over the fact that you're hurting God through the sin comes this. Hey, God, I'm sorry. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is amazing. Forgiveness is one of those things that every single one of us in this room needs and needs to give and needs to receive. Forgiveness is very real. And what happens is when we're broken, it leads to our forgiveness. And then forgiveness leads to freedom. I'm going to ask these guys to come back out. We're going to worship some more. We're not even done yet. But I'm going to ask them to come out and play with soft, and I'm going to share with you a couple things in my life, some story in my life that has led to my, hey, don't put your Bibles away or anything like this. Stay here. Stay with me. I need you to listen. Don't want you to miss this. Everybody say Freedom. See, I'm a firm believer in this this scripture in Psalms 147.3. It says, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. I want to share with you tonight the second greatest story of my life. I'm asking you not to talk. I'm asking you to sit up and, and not miss this. But the second greatest story of my life, first greatest story of my life, is when Jesus became real to me. Man, when, when he rescued me and he became real to me and I began to follow him and my life changed the greatest story of my life. The second greatest story of my life is this. Y'all listen. It's when I found some freedom. Because let me tell you what I held on to for a long time in my life. I held on to a thing called unforgiveness. See, people would always ask me this question when they would come and I would, I would speak at their church or I would talk about my dad. I would say, my dad did this to me and he did that to me. And you've heard my story as I shared about it. And many of you in this room have even shared with me, you've had the same experiences. And as in the ministry, preaching and teaching and all that, people would always ask, hey man, when did you forgive your dad? And I'd always say, oh, I was a long time ago. And I would lie. See, deep down, I knew I never really forgave him. I just kind of put it to the side. You know what I did? I even justified it. 
Oh, I would have conversations where God would get on my heart and he would say things like, hey, you need to let this go. Man, you can't hold on to this. It's bounding you and these chains are wrapped around you and you're not going to move forward until you say you forgive your dad. And, and I would literally have arguments with God by going, but hold on, God. You understand why I can't do this, right? Because you were there the night he held a pair of scissors in my mom's throat. You were there the night that he put out cigarettes on me and my brother. You were there the And I would say all these things that he did and all that pain and And I would literally convince myself that God said it's okay. But we could do that with sin, can't we? I would convince myself that God would go, hey man, it's all right. You can let it go. You you can hang on to that. And I'd bury it deep and go on with my life. It's funny how God works. When we try to hide and bury things, and boy, he seems to bring it up, doesn't he? So my grandma, who I just talked about, was an amazing lady, was coming to my house in Austin, Texas. She lived in Louisiana. My aunt was bringing her to my home. And I'm telling you, I couldn't be more excited. There was so many reasons why I was excited. One, I wanted to see my grandma. Another reason why I was so excited was this, is that I wanted my grandmother to be able to see the fact that her little boy, you know, the one that she would pull out of bars and this little grandson that she would take care of and feed biscuits and chicken to, this little boy did not end up like her, da- her son. And he made it. I had a home. I had a job. I had a wife. I had kids. And I could not wait to show this woman because of her love and her discipline. And that switch, I made it. And because she was bringing some, some love into my life. Listen, I couldn't wait. I was so fired up. I kept telling my little boys, oh, Grandma, going to get you with a switch. You know, I just wanted to see them. So all of a sudden, you know, my wife said it was just like, she, I was pacing. I couldn't wait. And all of a sudden, I see the car pull up in the yard. And I go out to the porch. And there's Grandma. And it was my wife's birthday. So they were bringing a cake. And, and uh, so she pulls up. I go, Grandma's here. You know, and I go out to the yard. And then while I'm standing out there, all of a sudden, there's this truck that pulls up behind her. The truck did not look familiar. I didn't know what this truck was. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at this truck going, who's here? Why are they in my yard? As my grandmother's getting out, my aunt's getting out, my aunt's carrying a cake for my wife, all of a sudden, out of the truck comes my dad. I have not seen this man in a long, long time. It even took me a minute to go, is that him? And he is drunk out of his mind. He's at my house. I didn't even know he knew I lived there. My joy turned to anger. One of my little boys kind of got in the yard. He goes up to him and he picks up one of my little boys and starts to stagger with my son. I felt this little go past me. And I was like, what was that? My wife come up off that porch made a beeline toward him snatched the boy out of his arms turns around starts walking toward me holding our child and looks me right in the eye and says you need to do something I've never confronted my father I buried it 
he walks over to say something to my grandmother and she's walked past and she says, he says something to my aunt. He goes and grabs the cake from my aunt, aunt's hands to bring it into the house. My aunt walks in, mumbles something, and then all of a sudden he drops the cake in the yard. Now my anger just turned to rage. All of that stuff that I had buried all of that anger and all of that pain and all of that hurt and all of that just starts to boil itself out and I thought I hid it good enough, but I didn't. He's on the ground and he's trying to put the cake back together and he walks over to me and hands it to me and I grab the cake, I turn around, I hand it to my wife and I looked at my wife in the face and my wife said she has never seen this much anger and rage inside me ever and I looked at my wife I said here's what I need you to do take everybody to the back of the house lock this door and I don't care what you hear do not let anybody come to the front of this door and my wife said she looked at me and was afraid because she saw something in my eyes she's never seen before and she said this to me she said, don't kill him. Your boys need you. She went in. I heard the door shut. I heard the lock. I turned around and for the first time in my life, I approached my father and I stood to him face to face. This man who used to hit me. This man who left me. This man who said horrible things to me. And I stood there in front of him and I worded this. This is what I said. I said, you will have to step over my dead body if you think I'm going to allow you to bring the nightmare that you brought to me as a child into my home. I said, it ain't happening. And I did this because here's the thing. I knew he was going to swing on me. I knew he was going to try to hit me. And for one part of me, I prayed, please hit me because I want to hit him so bad. That's how much rage I was carrying. That's how much anger I was carrying. That's how much, I was, and I just, I wanted him to. The other side of me was going, please don't do this because my neighbors know what I do. They know I'm a pastor. And if they look outside and they see me punching an old man, it's not gonna be good. They were like, isn't that the pastor punching that old? Is that laying of hands? We're not going there, so no. Everybody say freedom. I stood there looking at this man. I stood there with my hands up. And then all of a sudden, here's what I began to hear. You remember the voice that I talked about on the very first night? You remember that voice I talked about that kept telling me, you need me, you need me, you need me until I surrendered my life and I gave it to him and I was rescued and saved for eternity? That same voice comes into my heart and says this, let it go. And I start to have this argument with God going, no, God, I can't let it go. Let it go. Forgive him. Let it go. And then all of a sudden, every scripture I probably ever read or preached just started hitting me left and right, just pounding on my heart about forgiveness and about letting things go. Colossians 3.13 just really hit me. It says, bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievance you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And the one that hit me the hardest was this, was Jesus was hanging on the cross. He'd been beat up, beard pulled out, mocked, nailed to this tree and he's hanging there and he says father forgive them for they know not what they do and it hit me so hard that spirit did 
and I knew that I could not hold on to this anger. I knew that I could not hold on to this unforgiveness any longer. And I dropped my hands, I dropped my fists, and I said, God, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. And I looked at this man, first time ever. I said, Dad, you hurt me. I said, man, I've been messed up because of you. I said, but I got to tell you something. I said, Dad, I forgive you. I have to. I said, Dad, I forgive you. soon as I said it, I'm talking about when those words came out of my mouth, and listen to me, I've said it before, not to him, but I've said it before, like, oh yeah, I forgive him. But when I said, Dad, I forgive you, I felt these chains fall off of me. I felt this freedom that I've never felt before because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, and the Spirit of the Lord was with us that day. And freedom happened. Listen. And for the first time, when I said, I forgive All of a sudden, this perspective of who this man was changed. All of a sudden, this man I hated, I could care less if he lived or died. Guys, I could care less if my father went to heaven or hell. Part of me wanted him to go to hell. But when I said, hey, because Jesus forgave me, I can forgive you, and I let that go, all of a sudden, I saw this man in a completely different light. I saw him as God saw him. He was a child of God, regardless of how messed up he was, he was still a child of God. Regardless of how jacked up he was, regardless of how many drugs he has taken, regardless of how much drinking he had done, he was still a child of God and God loved him just like he loved me. And I was able to take this man to my garage and I shared Jesus with him. I said, you can't come to my house because you're drunk, but come to my garage. We went inside my garage. I sat down with my father, and I started began to tell him scriptures and things, and I shared my testimony on how I got saved and rescued. And I go, Dad, you were there the night before I got saved. He goes, I don't remember. I said, yeah, you beat me up and chased me into the woods. I said, I said Dad, listen to me. I said, I forgive you, I love you, and I believe that God loves you as too, and I know he does, and he wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to confess those sins and give it to him and find some freedom in your life. And my dad looked me right in the face and goes, I don't need your God, and walked out of my garage. About a week later, hadn't talked to him, hadn't seen him. I was doing much better. I get a phone call from a woman. This woman calls and she says, hey, are you uh, Terry Benson? His name is Terry Benson. Are you Terry Benson's son? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, well, your father has written your name as an emergency contact. I said, all right. I said, I don't really, you know, know my dad that well. I ain't talked to him much. I saw him last week. She said, well, something's wrong with your dad. He lives out here in our barn. He builds fences for us. Something's wrong with him. You need to do something. I go, ma'am, I don't even know the guy. She goes, you're his mercy contact. You do something. Hang up the phone, get the address. I go over to my wife. I said, man, I go, baby, I go, look, something happened to my dad. I don't know what's wrong. They called me. I got to go out there. I'm going to go out there and 
share Jesus with him. I'm not going to give up. See, what happens when, when you get free and you start asking, for, you know, when you get that forgiveness, you start to see that he needs Jesus too. You stop. You don't give up. So I'm starting to head out the door. I'm going, I'm sharing Jesus with this man. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice behind me. Daddy! It's Colton, my oldest son. He's probably 10. He said, Daddy, can I go with you? I said, no. I said, dude, no. I said, I don't know what I'm going out there to see. I said, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if he's alive or dead. I really can't take you out there. He goes, Daddy. He goes, I want to share Jesus with Grandpa. I said, you played the Jesus card on me. Get in the car, fool. Can't play the Jesus card. So I put him in the car. We drive out there. And I got to pray with my son. I said, we're going to pray. We're going to pray that Grandpa's out there, that he's alive, and we can share Jesus with him. We get out there. I find the place. I find the bar. I tell my son, I said, stay in the car. Don't get out. Because I honestly didn't know if I was walking in, if I was going to find him dead or alive. So I said, stay. He's all right. I go in, I walk into the barn, I start yelling, Terry, Terry. And I hear this voice over here. I follow that voice to a little room, some plywood basically put up in a corner. Had a bed, had a refrigerator, a little black and white TV. This man who used to have a wife, kids, a job, so talented, could paint, could play a guitar, sleeping in the corner of a barn. His liver failed because of the alcohol that he had put in his body, and he had hepatitis C from all the needles that he had been sticking in him. He was dying. I walk up to him. He's laying on his bed, and he's yellow and bloated and frail. All of a sudden, I feel Colton come up beside me. I said, dude, I told you to stay in the car. He looks at me and goes, Jesus. I said, Dad, listen to me, man. You, you don't look good. I've already called 911. They're coming out here to get you. I said, hey, listen to me. And I began to share the gospel with him again. That God loves you. That God has given his life for you. And God doesn't care about your past. God doesn't care about what you've done. And I can forgive you. You know God can forgive you. Ask him into your heart right now. Give, and I'm just doing my best and trying to, my, my, just laying down the gospel the best way I can. And this man looks at me and goes, no. God will never forgive me for what I've done. I look down at this man. I can hear the ambulance coming. And the hardest part about that day was not being rejected by my dad because I had been rejected before. The hardest part about it was I looked down at my son and he had this look on his face that was so painful. They came and got him. They took him to ICU in Breckenridge Hospital right there in Austin, Texas. They called us and they tell him, hey, he's not going to make it. You might want to come up here. I looked at my wife. I said, I'm not giving up. I'm sharing the gospel with this guy again. I grabbed my Bible. I jump. I'm starting to head out the door. And of course, Colton's like, I'm going with you. I said, get in the car. So we're driving out there, and here's what we prayed for. We said, hey, God. Give us an empty room. If you've ever been to the hospital in one of these places that, you know, in the uh, intensive care unit, it's packed with like caseworkers and nurses and doctors and people, you know, they, and especially some homeless guy that doesn't have insurance. There are going to be really a lot of people in there. So we pray that the room would be empty. 
I said, come on, man. We prayed all the way there that the room would be empty. We get to find the room. We're heading down the hallway. We open the door. It's empty. My little boy walks in and goes, we prayed for this. We walk over to the bed, and I didn't even wait. I jumped right in. I said, Dan, I talked to the people out there. You're going to die. They're not giving you a liver because what you've done to yours. I said, dude, I'm sorry, but you're not going to make it. And I got to tell you right now, here's the, the only way. And I start sharing the gospel as hard as I possibly could. And I'm sharing it with him almost in tears that this man needs to receive Jesus as his Savior. He looks at me in the face and goes, I don't need your Jesus. I need a liver. I didn't even want to look at Colton's face. I grabbed him. I pulled him next to me. I just kind of stepped back. And I'm talking about as soon as he rejected Jesus, it was like every nurse, every person, everybody just walks in that room. They're asking me if I have insurance or I have money. And I went, I don't even know. <laughs> and we just kind of jumped left. They take him out to a place in Bastrop, Texas, to a hospice to die. I told my wife, I said, I'm going out there. It was Wednesday. I said, I am going out there. I'm not giving up until he dies. I'm going to continue sharing the gospel with this man. I believe. It was Wednesday afternoon. I get a phone call from the lady. It's kind of the phone call I was, you know, dreading. I answered the phone. I said, hello. She said, hey, is this Casey Benson? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, is your dad Terry Benson? He's out here at the hospice. I said, yes, ma'am. I'm just waiting for her to go ahead and say, hey, your dad's passed away. Just want to let you know kind of deal. She goes, hey, you spoke at my church. I go, okay, that's great. She goes, I was there when you balanced the ladder on your face. She starts going, she goes, I, finally, I meet the biggest Casey Benson fan ever, all right? Just happens to be the woman telling me my dad died. I'm going, woman, tell me. I need to process this. I got to tell my kids. I need you to tell me. And she's like, oh, I remember you at a church. I'm like, Oh, my word. She goes, no. She goes, I got something to tell you. I said, I know. He's passed away. She goes, no. She goes, Casey. She said, your dad got saved today. I said, huh? She, I go, what are you talking about? She goes, we have this guy. He's a nursing home evangelist. He travels around and goes and speaks in all the rooms. And he came in today. He spent two and a half hours with your dad. He walked out of the room and said, this man just gave his life to Jesus. He was ready to be baptized. They brought in a tub and they baptized him. I said, what is a nursing home evangelist? I've never heard of a thing. I'm like, what is he talking about? Listen, hold on, hold on. I'm going to be real with you. I didn't believe it. I've been rejected so many times. And this whole, you know, God is very personal to me if you haven't figured that out yet. And I was not going to allow this man to make a mockery of my God. And I was just like, okay, that's great. And, and the whole time I'm going, I'm still freaking out about a nursing home evangelist. I'm thinking some old guy with a rocker going, oh, Jesus. You know, I don't even know what that is. I tell my wife, she said, that's amazing. I said, I don't know. Listen to me. Remember what I said? When you become one with Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, and you become a brand new creation, a brand new creature. And I said, listen, I don't know if he's changed. I don't know if he's different. I said, let's go. 
So we head on out there, and we drove out there. And I, I'm telling you, I didn't say a word the entire way out there. I got both my kids, my wife, and we're driving out there. We get there. I get out of the car. I still didn't want to talk to anybody. I walk in the door, and, of course, the lady had called me standing right there going, Hey, Casey Benson, could you sign this book? I'm like, ah, you know. I said, where's the room? Number seven. Walking down that hallway, and my heart's thumping out its chest because, listen to me, I wanted this to be real. And I'm heading down there, and I push open that door, and I walked into that door. And that night I met somebody I've never met before. This man was changed. The old was gone, the new had came, and this dude truly gave his life to Jesus. I was able to sit with him and I talk with him and I've never, our spirits connected. I pulled my Bible out and just start with, it was amazing. God truly changed this dude. He was saved. And I'm like, wow. So I'm kind of, had to leave. I was actually going to a church the next day to go preach for the weekend. I was going to be back on Sunday night. And so I kind of go, dad, I got to go. And I go down and I kiss him on the forehead and I start to get up and he grabs me by the hand. He's laying on the bed. I mean, he's dying. He grabs me by the hand and he kind of pulls me down to him. And this is what he said. He goes, son, I don't even remember a time this guy's ever called me son. He goes, son. He said, do you forgive me? Dad, you know I do. I said, because Jesus forgave me, I can forgive you, man. And he looks me in the face and he goes, I'm sorry for what I did to you. I'm sorry for what I did to your mom. I'm sorry for what I did to your brother. I'm so sorry. And I hugged this man. I kissed him on the forehead. And this I'm talking about the most emotional moment of my life is happening. And this would only happen to me, of course. My wife's crying. Colton's crying. I'm crying. My father's crying. We're having this crying moment. And my youngest son, Titan, has got a cord, and he's pulling it out of the wall. And my wife goes, no, 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 no. It was the cord that was keeping this dude alive. <laughs> Only to me that would happen. So we get together. and Look at me. I prayed over this man. I left. I said, I'm going to see you on Monday because I'm going to come out and see you, and I'm going to bring my Bible. We're going to talk some more. I'll see you on Monday. I left. Monday afternoon, I got the phone call that he had passed away. I didn't get to see him again. But you know what? I'm going to see him again. Listen. I need you to listen. I share all of that because at this point I'm making right now. God, I, listen, I believe that God rescued him and saved him. I didn't have, I mean, God blessed me, I believe, for me to be able to have spend that moment with him and all that. But look at me. I don't believe that I ever would have experienced that if I didn't let the unforgiveness go. I need you to listen. I don't believe I would have ever experienced that joy of seeing this man saved. He might have gotten saved, but I'm just telling you, I wouldn't have experienced the joy unless I let it go. Listen to me. So 
some of you are saying this because here's the deal. I believe there's some of you in this room right now, there's some hurt, some pain, some unforgiveness that you're hanging on to in this room. And I'm praying that tonight that God can release you from this and we can find freedom in this place. Because I believe that God wants to use every single one of you in this room to reach people for Jesus. But you gotta let some things go. But before I can kind of go there and talk about letting it go, and we're gonna go there in a minute, I have to ask you this question. And I'm not asking you to close your eyes or bow your heads. I'm asking everybody in this room to look me in the face right now. Because I gotta ask you a real question. Before you can ask God to, 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 to release you from some unforgiveness you have in your life, there may be some of you still in this room who are lost that just need to be forgiven by Jesus. And you need Christ in your life. You've been fighting it for two nights in a row and you know you're sitting in this place and you're lost. You know you're sitting in this place and you don't have Jesus in your life. You know you're sitting in this place and if your heart was to stop and you were to die, you know that you're not going to heaven. And if some of you have fought that for two days, I need you to listen. I need you, everybody in this room to look at me right now. Some of you just need to give your life to Jesus tonight. Stop playing games. Stop running from him. And surrender and invite Jesus into your life. So I need everybody to look at me as I ask you this question. And it's not, I'm not asking you to raise hands. I'm not asking for nothing. I just need you to ask this question to your heart. If your heart was to stop and you were to die in this room right here, right now, do you know that your name is written in that Lamb's book of life because you've trusted Jesus and you've gone all in? You know him. You have a relationship with him. You know right here, right now that he is your Lord. You walk with him. You talk with him. I'm not asking if you've made mistakes. We all do that. But you know you have a relationship with Jesus. Do you know him today? Not just know about him. Here's my invitation to you. Now, I won't do this long because you've heard it. I'm not here to beg you. But if you know that you're in this place right here, right now, you fought it, you've let your mind talk you out of it, you've heard those voices, but I'm praying right now that Jesus will rescue somebody in this room. So here's my invitation to you. If you know you need Jesus, look in your heart right now, ask yourself that question, am I going to heaven, hell, am I going? Do I know him? And if you know that you don't know him, that you're lost, I'm going to ask you to get up and come stand right here in front of me. I need you to, I just need you to when, when, think about it for a minute. But if you know that you need Jesus, and there may just be a couple of you, you know that you're lost. You know that you, you fought it for two days. And you know that you need Jesus. Come stand with these guys right here. You've been running. Been running. Playing games. And again, this is for salvation. Not rededication. Not repentance. Not letting go of some unforgiveness. Because if that's it, go sit back down. 
If you're saved, go sit back down. This is for you know that you're lost. You know that if you were to die right now, you're going to hell. And you're saying, I don't want that. I need Jesus in my life. That's why you're standing here. No head bows, no eyes closed. It's like, you know what? We're doing business with Jesus tonight. You know that you're lost. Get out of your seat and come stand with these guys right now. This could be your last invitation. This could be your last call. We're not playing games in here tonight. If you need Jesus, you come stand up here. And we're going to pray together and ask Christ to rescue you, to save you. This is for salvation, not rededication, not repenting, not recommitment, not reconnection. This is salvation only. Make your way forward and come stand with these guys. If you know that tonight you need Jesus, talk to a young lady right there last night, still fighting it. I'm going to ask you. I don't remember you. I don't don't think I remember your name. But you know who I talked to right here. I'm going to ask her, hey, if you know, come on, quit fighting it and come give your life to Jesus. Just get up, come walk and stand with these guys. I'll give you a few more minutes to process it, to hold, to make it your own, and come on. I don't want nobody to miss this. Again, this is for salvation. I'm lost. The Bible says this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, says, on that day they will come to me and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and cast out? We did all these things. And look what he says. He plainly says, away from me, I never knew you. That's why I always ask that question, do you know him? Because it's not about knowing about him, it's about knowing him. So if you don't know him in this room, but you're ready to get to know him, get out of your seat, come stand right here with these people. And I'll give you a couple more minutes. And we're not going to send them out right away. We're going to send them out in a minute. I'm going to do the second thing with the freedom, and then we'll send them out. So let the adults know. So here's the last call for it. You've thought about it. you processed it. And man, there's some guys here who stepped out in boldness and faith. If you're in this place, last call, and you know you need Jesus, step out and come forward right now. Oh, you coming. All right, here you go. See, I was praying for you all day. I don't even know your name. I was praying for you. Anybody else? All right, here we go. You guys look at me. Everybody look right here, okay? Because we're going to pray together. And I'm praying that this moment right here in your life is going to mean something. This moment right here in your life is going to really, really mean something. Because here's the thing. I'm not saying, hey, tonight, we're not saying, hey, you're going to figure out the Bible or figure out life. But tonight, you're figuring out who the Savior is. Tonight, you're figuring out you got to go all in. So you're telling me by standing here that you need Jesus to rescue you. Just give me a head. That's where I'm at. Man, I I believe that he died for me. I believe that he was buried for me. I believe that in three days he rose from the dead and proved that he was who he said he was, and that's God, and he rescued me. Do you believe that tonight? Believe in your heart. And you're saying, I need him in my life. I can't live my life without him. Is that what you're saying? Then awesome. Here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes. Pray this prayer with me. Remember, the prayer don't save you. This is not a magic prayer. This is you right here, right now, talking to your daddy, talking to your Jesus, to God. 
just pray this. Say, Jesus, I need you. God, I can't do this without you. I believe that you love me. And I believe that you died for me. So God, forgive me. Come into my life. Rescue me. Help me figure this out. Walk with me. I'm ready to follow you. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. You guys look at me. If you just prayed that prayer and you really meant it and you just said, I'm in, then check this out. Man, you're in. You got him. He's yours. Now you just have to figure out who he is. Figure out what he's got in store for you, your purpose that he has for you, and that's staying in the word and following him, okay? All right? Now listen, I'm not going to ask you. Sure, we can give him a little applause here. Now listen, I want you to stay right here for a moment. They're going to kind of talk with you. I'm going to do like I did in a moment. I'm going to ask you to go out and do all that, but not yet. Because I want you to stay right here for this next part. If, you, if this doesn't, uh, uh, you know, relate to you, this next part that I'm going to give you, then I'm going to ask you kind of to step to the side and maybe let some others. But I need you to listen to this. Everybody look at me and listen. We're about to get real. How many in this room that are sitting here, standing here, can say this? Now I want you to think about it. You can relate tonight to holding on to some unforgiveness. Somebody's hurt you. Somebody's done some things to you. And you've been holding on to those things for so long. It's getting a hold of you. And you know that you got to let it go. You're ready to let the chains fall off. You're tired of walking that anger and that bitterness. And maybe it's against a mom or a dad or somebody that hurts you. Maybe some of you are just mad at God. And you just need to let it go. Some of you may be mad at yourself for doing certain things and you just need to let it go. But how many of you in this room could raise your hand and say, you know what? There's some pain, some hurt, some unforgiveness in my life that I have to let go of because it's got wrapped around me and I'm ready to be free. Then those of you with your hands raised, I want you to stand right now where you are. Here's what we're going to do. And if some of you guys have your hands up down here, that's great. If not, that's okay. Because I definitely want you guys to be able to go out in just a moment. But here's what I want to do. There's just so many of us in this room right now. I can't even do what I want to do. But I'm going to ask you guys that are over here, would y'all come and stand right? If you're standing, come stand right here. Those of you who are here, come stand. Just kind of maybe fill this aisle. You guys scoot in because I'm going to ask you to leave in just a minute. We need some, leave some room for them. Same thing, come here, and I need just to get out in the house and come. If you can't get out, just turn around, stand, and look at me. You're only walking up here or standing in the aisles or standing in your seats. Look at me, because you're ready to let go of some things, some unforgiveness, some pain, some hurt. Some, you're ready to let it go, and my prayer tonight is that you will let God break you. Because when he breaks us, man, he puts us back together stronger. So here's what I want you to do. Those of you that are standing here, look at me. Everybody look. I want you to take whatever that may be, whatever hurt, whatever pain, because I know some of you are doing this. Man, 
You don't understand how bad it hurts. I don't. It's your pain, but your God does. Some of you say, how can I forgive? Listen to me. You don't forgive for the person who hurts you. You forgive for you so you can be healed, so you can move forward. Amen? Hold on to it. I want you to put it in your hand. Hold it out in front of you. Whatever it is, you know what it is. God knows what it is. Nobody else has to know. You do. And I want you to grab a hold of it and grip it. You've been holding on to it pretty tight for a long time in your life, so I want you to grip it right now. Hold on to it. And hold it high out in front of you. Now, here's what I want you to do all over this place. I want you to begin to pray and ask God to release you from it. Ask God to take it from you. Our God died on that cross over 2,000 years ago so we could have freedom. And he set us free, guys. He set us free. And we don't have to hold on to that pain anymore because he took the pain. He died for us. So I want you to right now pray and ask God to let it go. And when you feel ready, Open that hand and let it go. But you don't let it go until you're ready. Come on, you pray right now as they sing over us. Come on, pray right now. Come on, pray, pray. Ask God to take it. God is absolutely moving up in this place. But listen to me. Those of you that came forward tonight and you asked Christ to come into your life. See, I need you to do me. You, you, the adults want to come. They want to pray with you. You're going to come back in. But I need you to go out and pray with those guys for a moment and let them talk to you for a moment and then you're going to come back in. So I need you guys to make a hole and those of you that ask Jesus, here we go, we're going to do like this, parting of the Red Sea, just kind of, there you go, right there, make a hole. And if you tonight ask Jesus to come into your life, walk through that hole right there and they're going to meet you. Go up and take a left. Come on, y'all go. And y'all going to come back in a minute. I just don't want y'all to miss the going and talking with them and get some encouragement with those guys. Mm. Do you believe in freedom tonight?